Amen. That's a good choice, isn't it? Amen. amen. That's a good choice. Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles again. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. I decided that I would just finish up what I started this morning. And I uh, didn't get to uh, probably a, a good portion of it and thought that I would just finish that up tonight. Well, Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 again. And then we'll continue and, and, and kind of rehash or kind of just summarize very quickly what we addressed this morning. And then we'll just move right along into the next section. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. The house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. 
And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. This morning we began by just basically looking at this King Uzziah and considering him in light of his ministry and what he accomplished in Judah. We noted that as a king, he was a good king in Judah. We realized that it was very early on in his life, at the age of 16, that he ascended to the throne and it would be there for 52 years that he would serve the nation. Being so young, a king, he found counsel and guidance from a man of God by the name of Zechariah. And Uzziah faithfully sought the Lord during those days while Zechariah continued to guide him. And even afterwards, as long as he continued to seek the Lord, God prospered him. But we understand and learned this morning that there came a point in his tenure that he came, became strong and it lifted up in pride. As a result of that, his downfall came. We see that he ultimately went into the, uh, the holy place and he burned incense. And of course, that was the priest's job alone. And as a result, he was confronted by the priest. He was wroth. He was angry. He got upset about it. And as a result, God smote him with leprosy. We said that for 52 years he reigned. For 52 years he was on the throne. This particular king, as we noted, was extremely innovative. He was a king that was very intelligent. And he accomplished so many wonderful feats and so many wonderful things on behalf of Judah that... I kind of thought that it's possible that maybe the people themselves found him to be the one they could depend upon, rely upon, trust in. That it didn't require maybe looking so much northward, but simply outward. That they could focus horizontally and not vertically. And as a result of that, it would be when King Uzziah died that Isaiah would see God high and lifted up. We said, how in the world do we see God high and lifted up? And we noted focus on him. And that's where we recognize the idea and the reality that we're not to view this world horizontally. We're to view things vertically. We're to see God. We're to focus on him. As tempting as it is to trust in man, as tempting as it is to trust in Things. It's not what God would intend. God wants us to focus our attention vertically, upward, not outward. We said if you're going to see God high and lifted up, not only must you focus on Him, but you have to identify His person. And so we said that God is revealed in Scripture in a number of different ways. First, we see Him revealed in His nature. We see Him revealed in His character, and we note Him being revealed in His work. We said we have to get to the point and the place where 
We see God the way God wants him to be seen, the way he describes himself, not as we view him. We can't create a God of our own imagination or our own view. That's simply an idol idol that we've created. And so we said, yes, if we're going to see God high and lifted up, we need to focus on him. We need to identify his person. But finally, we said we need to enter his presence. It's one thing to know who God is. To, even from the child, as the girl sang, being brought up, learning about the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, learning about God and recognizing in 1 John 5 how these three are one and all of that. You can know all those things, intellectually speaking, but at some point they have to become personal. And we said, if you're going to really see God high and lifted up, then you've got to, you have to get into his presence. And to do that, you need a passion for that. There ought to be something that drives you and drives me to our knees and drives us into his presence. And if that does not exist, then it's something we ought to be praying for and begging God for. I think sometimes, again, we we get so caught up in the world we live in and activity. I mean, I was just mentioning, even on vacation, it's so easy to lose sight, if you will, of, of, of what's most important. What are you going to do today? Well, I'm on vacation. I'll do nothing. And yet you find yourself thinking and planning and trying to f- figure out what you're going to do. I'm not one of those people that likes to fly by the seat of my pants. I kind of like things scheduled. I kind of like to know what's going on a little bit. So when we get up tomorrow morning, what time are we getting up? What are we going to do right afterwards? Are we going to go to the Dunkin' Donuts and get a coffee? We're going to then run over. Okay, what time are we leaving? You say, you're on vacation. I know, but I can't, I can't rest or relax if I don't know what's going on. And that's, that's ridiculous, right? But that's just how it is, I guess. And, and, and even in the midst of all that, that, that relaxation, we can find ourselves missing maybe the very most important things in life, overlooking the most important things. I, I liked, um, I, I don't know when it was, but I think uh, Brother Josh said something, Brother Josh said something about, about um, well, I don't even want to go into what he said. <laughs> I've heard too many good things already, so forget it. I'm not going to mention any more things about him. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you this, and I'm going to say this in all sincerity and and honesty. Boy, you do not know how wonderful it is. Well, you do know, I think. I think many of you recognize this. But it is such a pleasure and such a joy to be able to leave uh, the ministry at Community Baptist Temple, even for two weeks like I did, and not have to be worried about what's going to happen in this pulpit or what's going to happen outside this pulpit. Uh, Not all pastors have that luxury, and uh, they're not blessed necessarily like that. I thank the Lord for that, that I have men here that are able to step in and do that kind of thing. And the truth is, can I be honest with you, even if both of those uh, young men were unable to fill that pulpit, there are men within the ranks right here that could step in here and do a fabulous job. And we are blessed here at Community Baptist Temple. So we noted again that If we're going to see God high and lifted up, we need to focus on him. We need to identify his person. We need to enter his presence. And so 
I want to continue now, and, and I want to move along, and I want to look at a couple of things. I, I want to look at a couple of things tonight. First of all, the evidence of seeing God high and lifted up. What's the evidence of that? And, and I'm going to look at that tonight. And not only that, but I want to look at God's request and Isaiah's response in light of the fact that he saw him high and lifted up. And so let's go ahead and take just a few moments and we'll pray. And we're going to just kind of look at that passage a little bit longer tonight. And by 7 o'clock, it's going to be like the lights got shut out. Right? We'll do our best. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. I thank you for these, thy people. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. We need you today. We love you. And Lord, I just pray that you would take this simple truths from the word of God and, and apply them to our lives. May we, Father, truly seek your face and may we really have a long, a, a strong desire, I should say, a longing to, to be in your presence and to see you high and lifted up. And Lord, as a result of that, may our lives be transformed and changed. We need you desperately. We love you. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I don't know why, but I, um, I, I just have to share this with you. It's going to break the whole, it's going to break everything, but, but it just, I got a few laughs this morning from it, and so anytime I get an actually good one, I got to share it. I, I, I share jokes in the singles class every week, almost every week, not every week, and I don't usually get many laughs, but this one got a laugh, so since it's good, I'm going to shine tonight. Three sons left home. Now, I, I understand that a little bit now. I, well, two sons left home. But uh, I understand that, I, you know, that empty nest thing. But anyway, uh, three sons left home. They went out on their own and they prospered. I mean, they did very well financially. And they, 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 got together, they, and, and they got together and they started discussing the gifts that they were able to give to their elderly mother. And the first one said, you know what I did? I built a big house for our mom. They all looked at each other and went, that's pretty good. The second one said, well, I sent her a Mercedes with a driver. Sound pretty good, doesn't it? The third one said, you remember how our mother enjoys reading the Bible, don't you? Well, now she can't see very well. So I sent her a, a remarkable parrot that recites the entire Bible. It took elders in the church 12 years to teach him. Mom just has to name the chapter and the verse and the parrot simply recites it. It wasn't too long afterwards, their mom sent out letters of thanks and gratitude. She sent one to Milton, and she said, The house you built is so huge, I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. To Gerald, she said, You know, I, I, I'm just too old to travel. I, I, stay, I stay most of the time at home, so I rarely use the Mercedes. And by the way, that driver's so rude, he's a pain. But Donald, she said, the little chicken you sent was delicious. <laughs> the little chicken you sent was delicious. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Okay. So we noted here in Isaiah chapter 6, we, we took the time to look at you know, how to see God high and lifted up. And we just made a few suggestions how to do that. 
But once we've seen God high and lifted up, what will be the evidence of that in our lives? How will that play out in our lives? Well, I have just a couple of thoughts. First of all, number one, a humble attitude. A humble attitude. In Isaiah 6, 5, in the passage that we read, it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, I am undone. Well, you know what that is? That's an attitude of humility. To be undone. To see yourself as undone. After seeing God high and lifted up, Isaiah recognizes his shortcomings. He realizes that he's undone. I mean, think about that word. That's an amazing word, really, isn't it? Uh, it, There's so much in his life that's needful. There's so many things that aren't quite complete yet. You know, that undone aspect was really the problem with the Laodicean church, according to Revelation 3. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and let's note the Laodicean church, and let's see what their attitude is. Is it an attitude of humility? I think not. Do they see themselves as being undone? No. Notice how they view themselves. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and again, it seems uh, as we look at chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, we're given somewhat of a prophetical viewpoint of the end times. And that Laodicean church represents those latter days or those last times prior to Christ's return. And it seems to me that it's a very good picture of what the church seems to be today as a whole. When we talk about the church, according to, Laod- according to uh, Revelation 2 and 3, we're talking about the professing church. Not necessarily the church comprised of simply the bride, but those that profess to be the church. Notice what we find here in Revelation three seventeen. It says, because thou sayest, I am undone. That's not what they said, is it? He said, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Amazing view, isn't it? I mean, on one hand, we have Isaiah who saw God high and lifted up. And the first thing or first conclusion he comes to is that he is undone. That there's something missing that he's incomplete. And yet here in the church at Laodicea in chapter 3, verse 17, they say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I mean, you talk about an attitude that is in total opposition to Isaiah's. I mean, this is a total difference. I mean, there's, it's not even remotely close. It's one end of the spectrum to the other. Why'd they have need of nothing? I'll tell you why, because they're not looking up. They're looking out. And they see those soft, comfortable pews, and they see the 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 wonderful carpet on the floor and the, the wonderful instruments that are on the stage, and they have their suits and their dresses, and they look beautiful and lovely, and they have all the buildings and the edifices rising up into the sky. Boy, they have money in the the bank account, that things are going well. But let me tell you something, they're missing something. They don't see it because their focus is only horizontal. It's not vertical. They possess everything that the world says is success. 
They are complete from the they are complete from the world's perspective. But their creator sees things quite differently, doesn't he? He says in the passage, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow. What a difference. Have you ever known someone that thought they were doing just fine? And you're looking at their life and you're seeing them and you're wondering, what in the world's going on? What a mess. Oh, I'm fine. You don't have to worry about me. I'm doing just fine. And you're thinking, you are? Can you imagine? That's how God sees us sometimes. You know, we go through like, oh, my, I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm fine. And God's going, really? You have need of nothing, huh? Is that why you don't pray to me? Is that why you don't seek my face? Is that why you don't beg me for anything? Because you have need of nothing? But in reality, God's looking at us going, if that's the case, mind you, thou art wretched and miserable and blind, blind, uh, poor, blind, and naked. See, they said we have need of nothing, but that was a false narrative based on a false view of themselves. See, no one can really see themselves as they truly are until they see God as He truly is. Isaiah says, I am undone. When I compare myself to the holy God of the universe, I am undone. That's a humble attitude. Not only undone, but notice he says he's unclean. Again, he says, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. Boy, holiness is an attribute that has been quite disregarded in the pulpit and even in the pews of America today. I mean, it's something that we war with. It's something that we struggle with because there's so much uncleanness around us that if we just clean it up enough, it looks pretty good. See, I came home from vacation and I, the garage door raised up and as I carried a few things into the garage because we left the car parked outside because we had to open the doors and all that stuff. And I walked in, nonetheless, anyway, I walked into the garage and I went, wow, this garage sure looks good because I had cleaned the garage before we left. And I did. It looked pretty good compared to what it's looked in the past. And my wife went, well, good for you or something, whatever, you know, and I mean, it wasn't like she was putting me down, but she was just like, yeah, well, pat yourself on the back. Good job for you, yeah. And, you know, and I was just like, you know, it looks good. But let me tell you something. Can I tell you this? As clean as it appeared to me, as much as I thought it was clean, the truth was I wouldn't eat off the floor. I wouldn't eat off that floor because that floor's still really dirty. You say, well, what's the point? Well, the point is this, that our standard of holiness has so de- been so devalued that what I believe God would consider holiness, if we truly see God high and lifted up, that holiness that we, we truly see in God is so different than the holiness that we view today. We look at being holy at a level way down here, when in reality it ought to be way up here. I mean, our, our idea of holiness is just not doing this sin or that sin 
or rejecting that particular thought or not doing this. But in the meantime, there are other areas of our life that we know don't measure up to God's standard. But that's okay. I'm pretty holy. You're like my garage floor. I mean, you're clean, but not really. And we have changed the definition of holy to meaning mostly clean. But see, when we get a vision of God, when we truly see Him high and lifted up, it changes everything. As they say, that's a game changer. And that's exactly what Isaiah saw. He saw God high and lifted up. And he heard those angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy. I kind of in my mind envision those three angelic, uh, cher- those, those three angelic beings on, on each uh, different corners, you know. And, and here's God, you know. Uh, and, and, and here's Isaiah looking up and seeing him high and lifted up. And the one says, holy. And the other one goes, holy. And the other one goes, holy. Isaiah had been in the presence of greatness. His eyes had seen the perfect and holy standard. He can't help but see himself as being filthy and foul in comparison. He can't help it. See, I believe that this is evidence of a humble spirit. When you see God high and lifted up, a humble spirit is what you have. A humble attitude. A humble attitude says, I'm undone. A humble attitude says, I'm unclean compared to God who's perfect, holy, and righteous. The passage would go on to note how Isaiah recognizes that he, as he puts it, dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You notice in the passage, chapter 6 again, he, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I want you to realize that it wasn't until he saw himself as being undone and of unclean lips that he noticed others. I think that's very important to realize. I mean, he saw his own shortcomings before he saw the shortcomings of those around him. And we're admonished to deal with our own sin before pointing out the sin of others. Turn to Luke chapter 6 verse 42. Uh, Probably a familiar passage on a Sunday night service. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 42. Notice it says here in Luke chapter 6, verse 42. Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye. And again, a mote, relatively speaking, is pretty small, right? If it's in the eye, it's probably pretty small. But notice something else here. It, this is amazing, and I think this, this, the analogy or the picture of this is great. I, I just love the picture of this. He says, brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that's in thine own eye. I mean, I, I just can't help but picture that four by four sticking out of his head. And he's walking around, you know, and he's got that thing sticking out there. And he's like, dude, you got a mote in your eye. The guy's like, are you kidding me? 
You ever think about looking in the mirror once and ripping that four by four out of your head? But you can see that moat, boy. I mean, you got that focus. You're not recognizing your own self. You see the sin of others. And you know, sometimes it gets a bad rap, right? In church especially. You know, judgment begins at the house of God. And yet somebody, you know, don't judge me. Well, wait, wait a second. Because Isaiah recognizes the sin of the people, is that him judging the people? No, the point is he saw his own sin first. And as a result of that, he was able to see the sin of others. The problem is today is we don't even see our own sin, but we're very quick to recognize and point out the sin of others. That's the problem, and that's what God's addressing. Again, we're so equipped, it seems, or better equipped to recognize the faults and sins of others than our own. And the flesh is always quick to take the external temperature of the culture or even the external temperature of fellow believers. But you know what? Those that operate in the Spirit, they find that God and His Word pinpoint internal temperatures, which ultimately reveal spiritual infection in their lives. See, if you take your temperature and you have a fever, there's a good chance you have an infection in your body. See, the flesh is always quick to take the temperature of the culture and other believers. But the spirit-filled man or woman is quick to listen intently and be very sensitive to the Spirit of God who, res- who points out the internal temperature and says, guess what? There's an infection brewing. And you know, That's the place that God wants us as believers. In a place where we're very sensitive to His Spirit. The man or woman of God who sees God high and lifted up will truly be sensitive to the Spirit of God and be sensitive to conviction. The conviction that He alone can bring in our lives. So, first of all, what's one of the evidences of seeing God high and lifted up? A humble attitude. But I do believe also... This attitude, this idea of a healthy attention. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he says in that passage, he, he notes, he says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He said he heard the voice of the Lord. But I'll tell you what, it seems to me today that we, we, we're kind of in a big mess as far as hearing the voice of God. I mean, how many, I mean, it seems very popular to say, God told me. Uh, God told me, and God told me, and God told me, and God told me, and it's almost like a broken record. And yet things aren't lining up with the Bible. How can that be? So God's telling us to do things, think things, say things that don't align with the Word of God? That doesn't even make any sense. You know, until we see God high and lifted up, we're going to struggle with our attention. We're not going to hear the voice of God too well. There's too many other things distracting us. I read a definition of distraction. It goes like this. Distraction is caused by one of the following. Lack of ability to pay attention. Lack of interest in the object of attention. Greater interest in something other than the object of attention. Or the great intensity 
novelty, or attraction of something other than the object of attention. Distractions come from both external sources, physical stimulus through the five senses, or internal sources, thought, emotion, daydreams, physical urges. I don't know, that sounds pretty long of a definition. That's not something I'd want to have to memorize on a test. But it's pretty good. And I read about a farmer. He had told his wife one morning that he was going to go out to pluck the ripened fruits from his, his field. He had to get on those things, right? I mean, the hot sun was going to be rising. And so he went off early on and he, he got an early start and he warmed up the truck. He needed some gasoline, so he went to the store where he could get some. And on the way to the store, he noticed the pigs weren't fed. So he proceeded to the corn crib where he found some sacks of feed. Beside the sacks were potatoes that were sprouting. Then when he started for the potato pit, he passed a wood pile and remembered that his wife wanted wood in the house. And he picked up a few sticks. A very sick-looking chicken passed by. So he dropped the wood and he picked up the chicken. When noon rolled around, the frustrated farmer hadn't even gotten to the truck, let alone to the field. By now, though, the sun was very hot and some of the fruit had dropped. You know, that's kind of how our lives are, aren't they? You know, many of us have good intentions, and the farmer did. He certainly wanted to save his crop. He didn't want to lose any of the ripened fruit. But the fact was is that he got distracted by so many other Things And they weren't bad things. They just weren't the best things. You know, sometimes I think, I, well, I don't think, I know that we lament over the fact that fewer and fewer young men are being called into the ministry today. I mean, we, we lament the fact that fewer and fewer believers see the need or feel the need to sell out to Jesus and give their lives to reaching others and building the kingdom of God. We lament that. But I contend that it isn't that God isn't calling men to the ministry today, but that more just simply aren't listening. I'm convinced, and, and I, I really believe that... that that God hasn't given up on trying to get believers involved in the work of God. I mean, the need still exists, and I'm sure God hasn't conceded victory to Satan yet. But unfortunately, as a whole, believers are a little more preoccupied with life than they used to be, I believe. I, I do believe that. See, I believe God's been speaking and I believe he's crying out and he, he's looking for a man to fill the gap. He wants someone to stand and yet we're kind of distracted because our focus is horizontal. It's hard to hear the voice of God when there's so much confusion, so much activity. Look, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, we have this young man by the name of Samuel. Samuel's pretty young, and he's going to hear a voice, and he does not recognize the voice. But fortunately for him, he is in the custody of a man who, at least at some point, had heard the voice of God and knew that God could indeed speak. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, Samuel has gone to Eli, the priest, and said, listen, I'm hearing this voice. I don't know. I go to bed, son. And finally he goes to him again and he says, Eli said to Samuel, verse 9, go lie down and it shall be if he call thee that thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak, for thy servant heareth. When God has your attention, you can hear his voice. When's the last time you heard that thundering of water, that thundering of, like, in, in, within, that it was the voice of God? I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm not talking about, you know, something necessarily even as Samuel heard, but you knew it was different than your own conscience. The voice of God, that thunder within. You say, still small voice? Yes. But boy, when he speaks, wow. Why is it that we're not hearing that voice so much today? Could it be because we're on a horizontal plane too often? Could it be because we're not looking up? Could it be that there are too many kings in our lives already? And we're listening to too many voices already? Boy, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he had a healthy attention to the voice of God. He could hear God, and that's a healthy place to be as a believer. Being able to hear the voice of God. And then comes God's request and Isaiah's response. Wonderful, isn't it? It's amazing to... See how God worked. He says, and also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Now, some will say that that addresses and deals with the Trinity speaking in heaven, who will go for us. I'm okay with that. That Christ himself, in a sense, answers the Trinity and goes for them, so to speak, being the one that would come. I get that. But what I do know, I believe with all my heart that what we see here is actually happening in Isaiah's life. He hears that voice. He sees that that God high and lifted up and Isaiah answers the call. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a man who didn't ask the right question until after he saw God high and lifted up. We read about Saul on the way to Damascus. And it would be Saul on the way to Damascus that... um, that he, as it says here, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Boy, we want God to do a work in each life. We want God to give, and we say everybody has a place, everybody has a purpose, everybody has a position in the church. Everyone's needed. And then we sit back and we say, all right, come tell me what I can do, and if I want to do it, I'll do it. 
Well, whatever happened with seeing God high and lifted up? And even as Paul does say, what wilt thou have me to do? Whatever happened to that? What, what's going on here? See, Paul heard the voice of God. And when God speaks to you, boy, it does something to you. Just like it did Isaiah. Isaiah volunteers. Saul volunteers. We need some volunteers today. Not people that are waiting to be asked, but people that ask to be used. God says, I'll do that. I'll use you. But God, uh, excuse me, Isaiah saw God high and lifted up first. Even Paul did. I mean, you say, well, how do you know that? Well, he saw light from heaven. So obviously he had to look up. It affected his attitude. It affected his attention. And now Isaiah is ready for action. See, God's now where he belongs, high and lifted up. We're where we need to be, humble. And when those two things come into place, when they align themselves properly, then we're able to hear the voice of God and gladly respond to it. When we hesitate to respond to the call of God in our lives, I believe the reason's pretty simple. We haven't placed him where he belongs in our lives. Or we're not where we need to be. It's that simple. It's not complicated. So the question is, is there anything God would have you do that you're hesitant to do today? Is there anything that you know God would have you do that you're hesitant to do? Maybe you haven't done it at all. Because if that's the case, it's probably, for the most part, it's one of two things. Either one, you haven't put him where he belongs, high and lifted up. You don't see him where he really belongs. Your eyes are still down here somewhere. Or two, you're not as humble as you'd like to believe yourself to be. You don't see yourself the way you are. Undone. Unclean lips. What an honor to be used of God. Think about that for a minute. Isn't, don't you believe it to be an honor to be used of God? Sadly, isn't it sad to hear people talk about how it's an inconvenience? It's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, the God of heaven wants to use us, but that's inconvenient. That doesn't even make sense, does it? If we really saw ourselves the way we saw ourselves, or the way we should see ourselves, excuse me, or the way God sees us, i got to believe that we'd be excited that God would even want to use us at all. So what's keeping you from seeing God high and lifted up today? Does your attitude and attention prove that you've seen God high and lifted up? Are you hearing the voice of God? When's the last time you heard the voice of God? I'm not just talking about you read the Word of God. I mean, you heard that still small voice. God kind of gave you peace. You know how the Bible says His Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're the children of God? You hear that voice, that inner strength, that God's voice, that thunder, that thundering. It's still that still small voice. It's, it's amazing. I can't even quite explain it 100%. Are you asking the right questions and answering in the affirmative? Maybe you've intended to do a lot of things, 
maybe even something for God, something very important even, but you found that you've been distracted. Why don't we make a decision to, 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 to truly seek after the Lord, to see him high and lifted up? Let's make that a, a real goal of ours. And let's be quick to humble ourselves and see him high and lifted up. That's where he belongs. He belongs way up there. We belong way down here in who and what we are in ourselves. And the thought that God would want to use us, who's way up there, ought to excite us. I, I, know, I know that we're, we've been made clean. I know that God washed our sin away. I get all that. But boy, I'll tell you what, you come face to face with God. I come face to face with God. Don't you find yourself saying, woe is me. When's the last time you said, woe is me? That might be the reason we're not hearing the voice of God tonight. Father, we come to you.